You're listening to another episode of Open Source CXO, the podcast designed to share insights on how to excel in your business using technology, regardless of the industry. Host Robert Kehoe is a self-taught software developer who has grown to the role of CEO. Renowned for his collaborations with organizations such as Stanford University, Nelnet, and Louis Vuitton, he continually seeks new challenges to conquer in the world of tech. Accompanying him is Don Blackburn, a veteran COO with over 25 years of experience in cultivating diverse relationships and driving innovation in various technical projects. Each week, they'll be sitting down with some of the nation's foremost technology leaders to develop an open source playbook, drawing from their firsthand experiences in the field. Let's talk some tech. Sorry, today we're here with Vance Collins, who's with Flight Schedule Pro uh, here in the Kansas City area. Uh, welcome to the Thank podcast. You. Do you want to tell us a little bit about yourself, a little bit about the company? Yeah, absolutely. Um, we'll start way, way back. Now, I've, I've been a developer you know, my whole career. I started out as a developer, and <clears throat> I always say that I kind of got tricked into leadership. And I went the architect route, and usually by the time that you've gone the architect route, few people go back down and go back up towards the leadership route. But um, I, I did, and I always saw leaders as being in meetings all the time, and I didn't want to do that. And it kind of leads into some of the things that we want to talk about later, but had no desire to be a leader or anything like that. And uh, as I mentioned, I kind of got tricked into it. I don't know if it was a deliberate trick, but it, it happened and uh, found out that I actually loved it. Wow. So went up that path of, of a few companies and now I'm at Flight Schedule Pro and a little bit about Flight Schedule Pro. We write software for the aviation industry, mm-hmm. particularly flight schools, but uh, our our software, you know, as as you might gather from the, the name Flight Schedule Pro, it started out as just scheduling, but it's morphed into a whole lot more than that. And it handles a lot of the operations for flight schools, for fixed base operators at airports, for maintenance facilities. And we also recently acquired a logbook that pilots would use. So uh, everything from a zero time pilot to, you know, a captain with 15,000 hours. So we we see the pilots now in our system from the day they do they do their discovery flight to the day that they retire. Oh, that's cool. Um, yeah. That's awesome. And more and more <clears throat> colleges are getting into this, right? It's a huge thing. So right now, oh, it's it's been a thing for the last 15 years. But post-COVID, it got even worse. Is we have a massive pilot shortage, yeah. and airlines actually have airplanes that are sitting on the ground because they do not have enough uh, pilots to fly them. Mm-hmm. So everybody's trying to get enough pilots through the system, ramped up, and and able to get into that right or right seat originally, and then the left seat. Problem is, is it takes a while. Sure, get have fifteen hundred hours to to fly commercial, and that's mm-hmm. that's just a minimum. Right, and it's not easy to get to that point. So these schools are trying to be more efficient to try to get more people in. And that's where we come in. We try to make the schools more efficient, keep their airplanes in the sky more. Uh, that's that's their biggest cost is when the airplanes are sitting on the ground. So if we can keep students in the planes and the planes flying, then, then they do a lot better. So from a tech perspective, what does your shop look like at Flight Schedule Pro? Is it how many developers do you guys have? You know, what's the makeup of your team? Uh, you know, when I started there a couple of years ago, we had five developers. We're sitting around... Um, mid twenties now, oh, nice. I believe. Okay. So it, it, we've had some rapid growth recently to kind of match the industry and their needs. Um, 
We, I think you guys made Ink 5000 recently too? We, or we did. Yeah. yeah, there's been a couple of, of yeah. inks that we've That's made, awesome. you know, for just the growth trajectory right. and stuff like that. It's it's right. it's pretty amazing watching it happen. But I saw it a little bit from the outside before, you know. I, I always joke, uh, I knew about the company for a long time. I'm a pilot. And so oh, I oh, knew okay. about Flight Schedule Pro. And I told a, a friend of mine, I'm like, hey, he went to work there. Actually, a guy that I taught Agile to back back in some of the early days of Agile. And he went there as a BA. And I'm like, if you guys ever hire a tech leader, you need to let me know. And they did. I actually interviewed before the position was open. Oh, nice. So, yeah. So 20, 20 or so devs, what, mm-hmm. what, what's, uh, can you, you don't yeah. have to, but can you elaborate on the tech stack? Sure. You know, what, what the... Yeah, so um, we, we work a little bit in pods. Um, sometimes we, we do a more of a swarm. It's something we've done recently is switched into dedicated streams, but we're, we might combine more devs over here to uh, jump on a feature that we really want to get out. So it depends on you know, how many cooks you can get into each kitchen. Um, our tech stack is mostly .NET. Um, we, we have a heavy investment in Angular. So we started out in AngularJS, and then uh, we're upgrading all of our Angular to you know the newest version of Angular. We're almost done with that, so that's that'll be nice to finish up that tech data. Two more you know, weeks, right? Two more weeks. It's, it's always two more weeks, right? Yeah, but we're we're getting close. It's it's feeling really good to have most of that in our in our rearview mirror. Uh, so .NET on the back end, um, then Angular on the front end. The company we acquired course has to be a different tech stack so they're primarily node and react okay so um and then mongo and and sql so you plan on migrating that or keeping it i think we'll yeah we'll probably keep it where it's at and they're on aws we're on azure so uh we just you know almost no overlap at all but but keeps things challenging right oh that's awesome yeah okay so what are we do, what are we discussing here today? And I guess you well, to... one of the things you you and I talked about uh, was servant leadership, yeah. which is it's a term that I guess is you hear fairly often nowadays. Uh, I think it's becoming very popular, but it's it's something that I per- personally haven't been that familiar with, and I don't think you are either. So I'm really interested to hear about that. Uh, so first off, I guess what is the definition of servant le- servant leadership, and kind of start there, maybe. Yeah, and it's funny you said that it's becoming more popular. Uh, someone said something to me the other day. It's like, you know, there's a lot of people that say that they do servant leadership, but it's le- a lot of people say they do agile, right? Right, sure. Exactly. And and uh, saying you do it doesn't necessarily mean that you do it. Um, and there's varying degrees of it. Um, but servant leadership basically flips the importance paradigm on its head, right? As as the leader, you're, you're the most important, but in servant leadership, you're down here. You're you're kind of the least important. And the person that's closest to the customer becomes the most important. And your role as a servant leader is to serve them. And if you serve them, then they serve the person below them and then they serve the customer. So eventually, you know, you're serving up through to the customer. Um, so you really think about the people that um, that report to you, to your peers, as the people that you're there to serve. Um One of my favorite examples about this is you hear frequently people will say, hey, if you're the smartest one in the room, then you're in the wrong room, right? Well, okay, so, yeah, so you go out and you hire really, really smart people. Mm -hmm. Well, if you do that and then your thought process is, well, I'm hiring these smart people so that they can serve me, then you completely miss the boat, Mm -hmm. right? You hire these really smart people. And micromanage them. Yeah, yeah, right. 
um, or tell them how to do their job. Let them do it. Right. Right. You, your goal as a servant leader is to help them be successful. And if you help them be successful, I mean, it's not completely altruistic, right? If they're successful, then you're successful. But if you truly come into it without that mentality, but if you come into it as this is a chance to serve, not as a chance to lead, then uh, they will respond to that and they will be more engaged. They will be um, more excited about what they're doing and you'll get more out of them, honestly. So So staying with the agile theme, that's, Mm -hmm. That's a defined practice, right? That's yeah. that's that's something that's you can get certified. You can you know, it's all kinds of things. It's it's well documented. Is it the same with servant? Is there a, is there like a plan some, or a pattern? Or right, a particular <clears throat> program that you, you you look to 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 practice that, or is this just kind of a philosophy that you kind of buy into? You know, it is a philosophy, and we'll talk a little bit about the history of it. I'm sure that someone out there is creating some kind of certification for servant leadership. Um, <laughs> this this was true. a book that was written back in the, the 70s by Robert Greenleaf. He's the first one that actually it was okay. an article, and then it became a series of articles and then put together in a book. Uh, he based it based on a book uh, written by, um, oh, Hesse, I don't remember his first name, but it was called Journey to the East. This is a guy that took a trip with a, um, some of his employees, but he, he was the servant on the trip, and they didn't know. And then you know, it wasn't until the very end that they realized that he was actually the head of the organization. Um, and it was interesting. And it, uh, Greenleaf had spent 38 years, I think it was, at AT&T training managers. And from all of that experience you know, and seeing some of the things, and this was kind of a result of uh, social upheaval in the late 60s and early 70s, mm-hmm. seeing that what was going on there and that people weren't really being um, there for the people, for the community, for the organizations. Uh, this this book really spoke to him, and that's where he came up with the idea of the servant leadership. But if you go all the way back, uh, Cicero, uh, Lao Tzu, uh, talked about the importance of serving people 500 BC. So it's yeah. not a new concept. Oh, for sure. It's just a popular one. And it's the, it is definitely a, you know, corporate buzzword. People talk about it all the time. Correct. You know, it's just like when people said, well, I'm agile or this is AI, you know, right. yeah, uh, exactly. it, it, it's the cool thing to be right now. Um, but I will say that I kind of felt like I was doing it before I realized that there was a term for it. and uh, That's sort of how I felt about it, too. It's like, even here, like, we're always sort of going out of our our way to try to make our our dev's job easier, you know, sales, operations. We all kind of work together to try to help other people make their job a bit easier. But uh, it just seemed, I almost felt like I knew about it before I actually knew about it. Especially if it's customer-centric, right? Mm -hmm. It's it's all at the end of the day. It's all about, Mm -hmm. you know, the best possible way to deliver for the customer. So. Now, one question I had, obviously, we're a small company, Mm -hmm. you know, I'm not entirely certain how big your company is, but um, so for us, incorporating something like that would be not a huge undertaking. What about, what about very big companies? How how would one go and sort of transition into servant-based leadership from, you know, like an enterprise perspective even? Yeah, that's really interesting. So you can think of it in two ways. You can think of a servant leadership as the individual. Right. So I can be I can be a leader instead of a huge organization that is total command and control, authoritarian, autocratic. But within my org, I could 
flip that pyramid just for the org and, and be a servant leader there. But Greenleaf talked about his second article was how the organization needs to be the servant leader and it's servant leadership for the organization. And what that means is are the processes in place to support the person? Do you value the people? Do you take the long approach with the people and build them up and make sure that they have the the empowerment and the support to do what they want to do. So that has to come from the top. You know, you can be a servant leader within an organization that doesn't have a top level servant leadership, but if you really want that in the organization, it, I say it has to t- start at the top. It actually has to start, you know, at the bottom right, and then work right, its way up. Right. And, and uh, it completely possible in the largest of organizations, but it is easier to implement in the smaller yeah, ones for sure. That makes sense. Yeah. How do you balance sort of the, um, organizational need versus individual need. So obviously as, as a servant leader, your, your job is to, is to mentor or, or provide whatever need or whatever you need to clear any roadblocks or anything like that. But at what point that sort of becomes a challenge. So at what point um, do you sort of reorganize the, you know, the organization's needs over somebody's personal needs? Is that, is that, have you dealt with anything like that? Yes, and that's going to happen, yeah. right? Um, so there's there's kind of ten concepts of you know ten bullet points, if you will, in in any list of of what uh, servant leadership is, and one one of them is stewardship, uh, and that's actually stewardship mostly for the organization. Are you being a good steward of the organization's resources? Mm-hmm. So that's actually baked into to, to servant leadership. You know, are you taking care of what needs to happen for the, the organization. Um, the other one is commitment to people and uh, the community. So it's not just the organization, but the community in which the people work, you know. So you've got to think outside of just the that part of it. It's all part of servant leadership. Now, being authentic with your people, being honest and transparent, and we can talk about some of the other ones where that's important, Um but if you're open with your employees and they're not a right fit for the organization, you know, then you're not doing them a, any kind of service by keeping them on, you know. But if you're transparent with them and you have you exhibit good candor, then they're going to have the trust in you that what you're telling them is the right thing, right? So, I think that if there's a time when an employee or a particular individual isn't the right fit for the organization, then you've established the trust, you've established the candor within the transparency so that you can have those conversations. So that's how you would deal with uh, sort of that opportunistic behavior, somebody who maybe doesn't fully buy into this whole paradigm. Or take advantage of it. That's that's what I imagine. There's always going to be people who will try to take advantage of a situation. Human behavior. It it is human behavior, and and, uh, it, it does happen. That should show up in other areas, right? If they're taking advantage of it, then right. they're not getting something done. They're not fitting somewhere. Mm-hmm. And as long as you're being open with them and and helping them understand that, you know, your goal isn't just to make their life easier, but to help them fit in with the organization. And if they're not, then your your role is to help them understand how to, to better fit in and, and to, to, to be a contributor. Most people really just really want to do something great, right? They, they yeah. want to make a difference. They want to be a part of the organization. They want to be a part of the product that, that gets value. put out. Yeah, yeah exactly. Absolutely. And so if you give them a way to do that, then 
you know, yeah, it's possible that somebody will take advantage of it at some point, but it, it'll show up in other areas of their work. Gotcha. So you, we were kind of talking about, uh, this isn't the first time you've practiced this. In yeah. the first organization, you've kind of, for back, lack of a better term, parachuted into less than ideal situations yeah. and, and had to kind of turn things around. Mm-hmm. Uh, is So are you usually the driver in this? You know, you've gone into these organizations that didn't have any sort of leadership qualities or didn't practice any of these uh, and, and instituted implement it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, most of the time, yes. Uh, and I will say at Flight Schedule Pro, it was one of the first times where I wasn't brought in to fix something that was broken, right? I was brought in because they needed to scale quickly. Right, um, sure. And so it was actually a different different hat for me to wear that I've worn in quite a while. Uh, they had a great culture already in place, and my goal was just to scale that culture sure. uh, with more people. Yeah. Um, when I've had to go into an organization in the past uh, where it's broken, the teams are dysfunctional, mm-hmm. uh, the first thing that you, that I have to do is is establish trust. Um, the, the, it's kind of funny. The two first uh, traits of servant leadership are listening and empathy. Mm-hmm. And I would, I would put something in there as well. You know, you can't do servant leadership without being an active listener. And I don't do that naturally. If you're a coder, you're an engineer of any kind, when people start talking, the first thing you want to do is start fixing, right? You listen for about the first four words, all right, I've got enough to fix your problem. And so it's really hard. Uh, And it's something I've had to work on my whole career is being a better listener. Um, But that's first thing that you got to do. You go into these organizations, you listen to people. Uh, Covey says, you know, seek first to understand, then to be understood. And it's the same thing. You know, go in, you listen, you understand, you empathize with people, right? If you can't put yourself in your employee's shoes, you know, then you can't serve them. So you have to think about you know, where they're at, what their needs are. And it helps to build that bridge between what their needs are and what the company's needs are, if you understand what their needs are. It's pretty easy to understand what the company needs, but if you don't understand what the employee needs, then you can't build that bridge. Mm-hmm. So uh, building that trust is, is critical. Sometimes it's going in and, you know, showing them, hey, you know, let me jump in and do some code with you so that they know that the old man can still, you know, throw down with them. But uh, other times it's just establishing, you know, hey, you made a mistake. Cool. We'd all do. Let's, let's learn from it and move on, you know, and you don't berate them in front of others, you know, and, and being able to establish that, that trust is absolutely the most critical thing when you, when you parachute into a dysfunctional team. I had a uh, one group that I went into and the, the VP said, you know, you're probably going to have to let everyone go and start over. Oh. And I'm like, wow. Yeah. yeah pretty <laughs> yeah. harsh. Yeah. And I got to the team, you know, and I was, I was working with them and listening. It was a morale issue, man. They're, their get up and go had just gone up and went, yeah. you know, and the the rest of the org just beat up on this particular team. They were kind of the whipping boy of the whole organization. And so I talked to them. I was like, you know, what what's getting you the most? And I'm like, well, man, these people just keep coming in and, and hammering on us for blah, blah, blah. Like, okay, cool. So I was able to put myself as a shield in front of that. It's like, okay, you know, business, if you have a problem, come talk to me. Right. And so I shielded those guys from that originally. And then one of the first things that we did is like, okay, we need to establish some KPIs, right? So all leaders come in, they have their own KPIs. 
let's talk about morale. Every sprint, at the end of every sprint, you're going to give me a piece of paper without your name on it with a zero to a hundred. And you're going to tell me how you're feeling today. And we did that every sprint. And I think we started at like 30, you know, a zero to a hundred. It was not great. Yeah. As we got a win, as I actually, as I first started protecting them from the organization and shielding them from a little bit of that heat, it started inching up. And it was so interesting because of all the KPIs, every single one of them was exactly in parallel with their morale. And as the morale went up, and maybe it was the other way around. Maybe they had a success and the morale went up. Mm-hmm. But I will say that they absolutely went up together. Yeah. So when you when you go into a dysfunctional team, listen, empathize, establish trust. No, that makes a lot of sense. Do you find um, do, you, do you find it hard to balance um, sort of the, the from especially from a developer perspective? You know, there's deadlines. There's there's issues you need to jump in and fix quickly. Do you, ever, do you ever find that it's hard to balance sort of the time commitment that it takes to be a servant leader and delivering things and helping them out and mentoring them and providing that? Do you, and on the flip side of that, do you feel like you ever spend too much time with any one person? Does that get back to the whole, uh, they're just not a right fit conversation? Like, what are your thoughts there? Yeah, so it's a balance, right? There's no black and white. And, and servant leadership is not the right leadership style for every organization um i watched a guy say can you imagine servant leadership in the military (laughs) yeah you know it's not right for it right sure um and companies that are needing quick turns you know hey we need this this org flipped around in in a month and you know it it takes a while to establish that trust establish that that um that style of leadership so yeah, there is a balance there. Um, and I will, man, I, it's funny. We're talking about servant leadership and I'm speaking as if I'm an expert. I am not. I fail at this every single day. I fail at this. Um, but part of that is also being a servant to myself and, you know, recognizing, hey, you know, build myself up. How, how can I get better next time? How can I be a better servant leader next time? Um, and that one of the, one of the, traits of a servant leader is self-awareness by the way. So we'll talk about that a little bit, but um, yeah, the, the speed at, at which it happens um, doesn't always jive with organizational speed. Right. And so you have, you have to be mindful of that. You know, Hey, most of the time in these days where people aren't saying, Hey, would you spend some time with the team and kind of get to know them and make them feel good about things. So, but there's also, when, when employees are engaged and when they feel good about what they're doing and they feel like they're empowered and they feel like, you know, that bottom up kind of thing. Um, it sounds you, like it's pretty was, common to spend less is, time. It is after a while. They sort of yeah. yeah. And the churn goes away. Right. Yeah. So, you know, if you can give it a little bit of time to develop, you know, you, you, you keep your developers, they stay engaged. And if you hire, right, which I, by the way, I always say hiring is 90% of my job. If I hire correctly, then the rest of this is just easy. So getting getting them there and getting them empowered and hiring the right people, there's really not a whole lot I have to do after that. So that, that brings up another topic I was going to ask about was mm-hmm. the fatigue aspect mm-hmm. of it. Does it ever, ever get exhausting having to, um, I mean, constantly, you know, it, I guess if you do hire the right team, it's probably not, but... 
you have to train somebody to train. You know, they, you, like you said, it, it goes from, well, technically the bottom up. Um, everybody's got to be a part of that. So um, what sort of, I guess, you know, tools is there training? Obviously, you're mentoring, so they can mentor, and, and off mm. down it goes. So I guess, is there, um, is there any sort of, um, I guess, I don't call it fatigue, but um, does, that get, does it get exhausting? Having, having to do this. Fatigue is a good word for it, yeah. Um, absolutely. One of the first terms that that, um, that uh, Greenleaf talks about is sacrifice. Personal sacrifice. Giving of yourself, right? Um, that's rarely easy. And when you do, it, it takes something out of you. Um now, it's like giving a Christmas gift. And I, this is an analogy I'm building it as we're speaking, but um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's yeah. Christmas time. Right. I, I'm thinking about it, but um, it takes money out of your wallet, takes money out of your coffers, it takes away resources, and so you could say, "Well, that hurts." But man, the better gift it you're able, you a little it, bit. it is, and, and, and see, seeing the joy in, yeah. in, in the in the receiver. Especially once you get to a certain age, you're like, man, don't give me a gift. I just want to give, you know, sure. but you have to be able to receive as well. But I think it, it's a lot like that. You know, yeah, it takes money out of your wallet to give a gift. But, man, what you get back and seeing that you've enriched their lives somehow is absolutely worth it. Gotcha. Let's give and take there. Yeah. And I would think as you're going in, you almost have to have the buy-in from the CEO and, you know, the upper, upper, you know, your superiors from the beginning don't you i mean you can't i guess you can come in and implement it like you said in your 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 small organization but it's better if everybody's buying in and you're getting the patience on that you know from them and you're also getting the understanding that it may take a minute it it does and you don't always get that um the the orgra i was telling you about before where i i was told hey you're gonna have to come in and and can all these guys um my my leader there was a little bit more autocratic. And, you know, I will say that, you know, as I was working through this process, he was definitely mentoring me to become more like him. And I tried that a little bit. And it's actually, you know, in the military and stuff like that, that style works. And you have to have multiple leadership styles in your pocket, right? Servant leadership does not work in every organization. Um, in that org, I was trying to establish it underneath a more authoritarian um, leader above me. I will say that as I tried to put on that hat and try to be like that, you know, my employees completely, you know, rebelled. And it wasn't because they were rebelling against that leadership style. It's because I was not authentic, Right. right. Like you were almost impersonating. I was uh, impersonating yeah. something. I was trying to be something that my boss wanted me to be, but I just wasn't. Right. So um, that's where I would honestly see more of the problem is if you're in an organization where you're not able to be your authentic self. Mm-hmm. And um, if, if they say, you know, hey, we're not like this, but you can go ahead and do that, you know, whatever works, then I think that you're okay as long as you're able to be authentic. But if there's contention and the rest of the organization doesn't exhibit servant leadership, then, yeah, that'd be a real problem. So I guess sort of uh, how would one 
who really doesn't know much about this, let's say they're just they're listening to this podcast right mm-hmm. now, and and then you know what? Let's I, I think that might benefit. How would one sort of explore? You know, what were the first steps they would take to mm-hmm. to start implementing? Not get certified. <laughs> yeah, go ahead and get certified. <laughs> Somebody will offer you a, if you give them twenty five hundred dollars, yeah. they'll certify you. Yeah. Um, well, start with that book, maybe. Yeah, so Servant Leadership, uh, the book by Greenleaf would be a good place to mm-hmm. start. There's another one, uh, Servant Leadership in Action. Um, I can't remember which author, but he's got a lot of other business books out that and it's the one I, I appreciate. So it, it's more application. Um, but even just in your in the dealings every day, you know, if, if you go to your employees, your peers – your kids, your wife, everybody, and say, how can I serve you? You know, um, I think a lot of times as leaders, we we assume that we're given that position because we're so smart or we're so good, right? And um, if, if you think it, that you're in that role because of that and you think, well, I've got all the answers, then it, you can't be a servant leader. But uh, if you go into that, that role thinking, you know, hey, I'm in this role because I've shown that I can be a good servant and, and get people together. You know, I might be good at at organizing teams, you know, and that's my role. Uh, not not because I'm such a great coder. Um, I'm going to I'm going to take a turn on this a little bit. When I when I first got into leadership, um, I was I was pretty proud of my code. You know, I think. Once you get to a certain level as a coder, I think we're all a little bit cocky and confident, right? And I was a little bit younger. Um, and I had a, a friend and a mentor who would talk to me about music, too. And he would always say, well, how, how does this apply to something you know? And I remember back in college, um, I got an extra bit of a scholarship uh, because I was a second base and I could sight read. And for whatever reason, bases in choir just tend to not read music very well. I don't know what it is. Uh, Lower voice can't sight read. I don't. Anyways. So I, the choir director would always ask me to sing louder in rehearsal so that I could kind of set the path for the other musicians and I got used to that. And man, when we get to the concerts, I'm like, wow, I'm I'm a I know these pitches better than the other basses, so I need to sing louder so that everybody hears me. What was happening was, yeah, people heard me just fine, but I wasn't blending well. And at some point, uh, I think I heard a recording or something, I'm like, yeah, oh, man, you can definitely hear me, but you know, the blend isn't great. And what I realized was my voice, and this this is a silly analogy, but it's so true. My voice being heard was not lending itself well to the overall song. And when I realized that and said, man, I need to back off and think more about the song. And then the second I thought more about the song than my individual voice, things changed for me. Yeah. Same thing happened with leadership. As soon as I quit caring as much about my individual code and who thought I was a you know a badass coder, yeah. and yeah. and then people you know I, I when I quit caring about my individual code and lines of code that I wrote, 
uh, and I started thinking more about the project and the team. It just, it was like this huge switch in my head changed. And uh, all of a sudden I got excited about leadership and building teams and building projects. Sure. So, no, that's awesome. I like the analogy too. Yeah. yeah it's, and honestly, <clears throat> going back to the listening and empathy and, and transparency with team members, I have found that when I'm able to share something that's a part of my life with them, um, it helps with that empathy. One humanizes me a little bit with them and we can talk about it. I remember uh, one team, I had to ask people that, you know, Hey, we're going to have to work really hard and we're gonna have to spend a lot of hours together, uh, after hours, weekends, whatever, we need to get this project done. And that's hard to do one if you don't have the trust with people. And um, I had been sharing, you know, hey, I, I, I play in a band, you know, and, and and I'm like, they knew about it, and I would talk about it, you know. And it, it's just an innocuous thing. But when we got to that point, I'm like, man, my band members are so frustrated with me because I haven't been learning the materials before practice because yeah. I've been here with you guys. And I showed them, hey, you know, this is this is a thing for me too. And by by being transparent with them, by showing them part of my life, I was able to show them, hey, you know, I'm human too. This is yeah. this is affecting me During in the, the same way. Exactly. Some makes total sense. Well, unfortunately, <clears throat> in development. I mean, much yeah. like a lot of industries, that's that's definitely uh, got to get in, get in those trenches as leaders. But also, like sometimes you just got to get stuff done. So it's just unfortunate, but it is the truth. We've yeah. had to do it a couple times the last few uh, weeks. Yeah. <laughs> so how does that translate? So you said. What I think you said, ninety percent of your job is hiring, uh, mm-hmm. something to that effect. So, how does that translate to hiring? What are you looking for in a candidate then mm-hmm. that is going to fit into yeah. that kind of a model? Because yeah. how do you Aside identify from skill set in a one-hour interview? How do you identify this is somebody that's going to get it right? They're going to fit in perfectly, and they're going to they're going to get. Or is it trial how we error. do things? Yeah, it, it's not trial and error. Okay. Uh, <laughs> You're fired after a month. I'm sorry. I made a horrible mistake. It's interesting. Um, I've been really lucky uh, with the people that I've hired uh, for the most part. You know, I let my team do the tech screen, but I also ask them to do a personality. Hey, is this someone you want to work with? But instead of having the team do the tech screen and if they pass that, then they come to me and I do the kind of the culture fit screen. And is it someone that would fit into this kind of organization? Uh, I do that first almost every time, uh, depending on, you know, if my schedule allows, I will interview the people first. You know, I don't want to take three developers, four developers off of their, their job to interview and screen these people. And mine, mine might be short, you know, half an hour. So that first one, but um, I'll, I'll ask them questions about, you know, what's important to you? What do you want to do? Um, I'll ask them about places before managers that they liked and didn't like and how they like to be led and, and how they would lead others if they had the chance. And that usually gives me a pretty good indication of someone that's going to fit into that kind of organization. So you prioritize uh, culture fit over even skill set. I mean, obviously, they could be the best program in their world, but if they don't fit... <laughs> How do you feel about that whole philosophy? Do you feel like that works out, you know? Yeah, so um, fortunately I coded enough. I'll ask a few questions. Um, you know, you guys have interviewed. You know, within yeah. within five minutes you can tell if their resume is accurate or not. Yeah. Yeah, you may not get down to the, the details of, you know, 
have you used hooks in React or whatever, you know, but you can tell that they've been around the block, you know. Um, so I, I will, I'll ask those first level kind of, uh, you know, BS questions, you know, is, is your resume a little bit of fluff here? But if I feel like, you know, they pass that, then I'll go with the, the rest of it. I'll let my devs do the, the tech screen. And they, every one of them has the right to say, you know, hey, I don't think this person is up to snuff technically. So I don't hire people just because they're a culture fit. Right. But I won't even give them the... The opportunity. The opportunity yeah. to the tech screen if they're not a culture that fit. Makes sense. It does. <clears throat> and yes, we have done a ton of hiring, especially over the last three or four years. And yeah. I've kind of gotten to the point, and I've been around staffing my whole career, but I've kind of gotten to the point where, especially with developers, that... Even if they're not a perfect fit from a technical standpoint, if they've got the right attitude and they got the right, it's a, almost, a willingness to learn is also <clears throat> absolutely critical. And, and, right, and the drive to to really be the best, or you yeah. know, to really that they're not just doing it for a paycheck, right? Yeah. They're doing it because it's a passion and because they love it. If if you can get your hands on those guys, yeah, then you know, you you can teach you can code. Learn. Yeah, you they can, can teach learn. code all day long. You absolutely. can't teach. Well, you can, but it, it takes a lot longer to, a teach to teach personality, yeah. work ethic, and things like that. Yeah, so you know, you find people that have the right drive, ambition, desire to do well, um, desire to work on a team, be collaborative. You know, if they have the basic understandings, I'll. When I was doing C sharp, I would hire Java developers that had all those. So they may have a transition period, of, you know, of a couple months of, of taking those skills and becoming a C sharp developer. Mm-hmm. But if they had everything else and they had, you know, the a strong coding background, like, well, okay, yeah, I know you don't know every .NET library out there, but you've got everything else. I know you will learn it, and you're the kind of There's person resources. I want on my team. Yeah. Yeah. you got resources available to you, <clears throat> you can right. figure it out pretty quickly. Absolutely. Do you share that with the candidates as they're coming in and say, hey, this is what our management style is in this organization? No, you know, you no. just kind of focus on them. Pleasant surprise. That way when I fail, then they're not upset. <laughs> You don't want to overpromise. Yeah. <laughs> How would you measure the success of, of this? Like, what do you look for as the outcome? Obviously, morale, I think, would be mm-hmm. a good indicator. Um, the ability to still get stuff done <laughs> is probably pretty critical. But what would you say, you know, uh, is there anything else aside from that that you'd say, okay, we use, you know, we look at these things, and if these are all, what would you use to measure is the, is the question. I guess. Um, <clears throat> obviously, getting stuff done, executing that at the end of the day, you know, if this if that doesn't happen, then this leadership style is not useful, right? Sure. Then we're just all good buddies and right. Um, so that that has to be up there. Uh, churn, employee churn, is is a good so, measurement. Yeah. You know, if um, I find that in this style, there's if if you engage people, you empower them, uh, and they like what they're doing, and you hire other people like that, uh, you have very low churn. Yeah. Let me ask you a question about churn because yeah. it's something that I've always sort of thought about. I haven't really heard anybody kind of ask it this way, but what's the problem with churn? Mm-hmm. If there are developers out there on the market, obviously there are tons of people looking for jobs right now. It's very unfortunate. Um, now I'm not saying I'm an advocate for churn. That's not what this question yeah. is. But if there if there are developers out there and you hire somebody and you know let's say your leadership's broke, whatever, whatever it could be. Uh, what is the biggest problem of, of, you know, letting somebody go or them leaving and you just pulling in somebody new? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, uh, sometimes that's nice. Uh, you get new ideas, you get new ways of thinking, you get fresh blood. Um, <clears throat> I'd rather do that through growth than churn. I agree with that. Um, mm. And fortunately, at least for a while now, that's been my my experience. I've been able to do that. Um, you know, it takes such a long time to get someone up to speed. And yeah, they can be coding. They can be checking in code on day one. Um, I, I say for the most part, and people like have poo-pooed this before, I think it takes a year to really be an expert in a domain. Wow. I, okay. Um, now, when I was a consultant, obviously, you know, you, you get dropped in and you got to be. Got a month. <laughs> yeah. You got a, you got yeah. a couple hours, you right. know. Yeah. That's what so, we do a lot. Yeah. Too. Yeah. Um, but to really understand the domain, um, I. I talked to my my project managers or product managers, and we in our role that they're kind of the BA and the product managers, product owners. And I'm like, when we do our planning and grooming, I want the developers to feel like they were talking to the customers. So you know the why is really important. For someone that doesn't have the domain knowledge, you know the the depth of the domain knowledge, then they're probably not going to get that why a whole lot. Yeah. Um, you know, we, do you feel like? Developers, I, it's kind of hard to say. There, there are certain. It, it may not be just developers. It could, you know, this is what we deal with constantly. Mm-hmm. So, um, company full of developers. But we've noticed. I mean, not everybody. Everybody's different. And maybe this leadership style sort of lends some, you know, aid to this. But you know, in the beginning, they'll crush it. They'll they'll work hard. They're gonna they're gonna go that extra mile. But that slows down. So I'm curious. Churn versus you know something like that. It. Again, I'm not advocating for mm-hmm. it. I'm just trying. I'm trying to challenge the idea. I guess I'm just curious. Do you do you see that this sort of servant based leadership kind of helps some of that? You know, keeps them keeps the morale up, keeps them engaged and, and really productive. It, it would, if, yeah, if it's done correctly. Sure, circles um, down <clears> to the <throat> customer, right? So then you're the, become the servant to the customer, and you're trying yeah. to you know do it's, everything you can for them. It's easy to go fast when you don't have any legacy code to support, when you don't have anything else that's that's bogging you down. And honestly, developers that have been around for a while end up mentoring new people, whether they're in a role, a mentor role or not. People will reach out to them, hey, how do you do such and such, yeah. right? And that slows them down. Um, so if that's happening, you know, it's just a matter of understanding that and seeing that that's happening. If someone's getting complacent or their engagement's lowered, then you know having that listening and the empathy that's reasons, yeah. yeah man that's 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 where you do that um knowing the whole person the one of the traits of of uh of servant leadership is healing and not as in going in and fixing them but understanding the whole person right and that's yeah. that's actually what healing means is to make a person whole mm-hmm. and so if you're able to do that throughout their their term and not just when they come on board, but you know, you, you you're doing that all the time. And if you're and this is a great point, if you're teaching your managers and your and their tech leads and their senior level to do that and that trickles down, then they're doing it on a day to day basis. And so that engagement should stay up. But if you're only able to talk to your devs, you know, once a quarter, then yeah, in between times, they may lose some of that engagement. I was going to say, because I got to think some of your uh, more experienced staff, the folks that are your managers or your team leads and stuff that have been in the industry for 10 plus years and things like that, 
have maybe never experienced that. They've maybe been in organizations that were, were very... You know, command and control. Yeah. Command and control, right? The, the, the boss, whatever the boss <laughs> says, you do, right? Kind of yeah. mentality. So it's got to be an adjustment for them, too. And they got to get on board. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, what you're doing doesn't trickle all the way to the employee. It could yeah. kind of get stonewalled in the middle there. Oh, yeah. Well, so you talk about the pyramid, right? And you start at the bottom. Uh, Everybody's got if, if, if your pyramid does this and then you got a pyramid like that, you know, it's broken. Yeah. You know, so, every, you know, from from you being a servant to, you know, let's see, I'm a, I'm a VP, right? And I've got managers underneath me. Um, if I'm not, if they're not that to their employees, then the whole system just, breaks, just breaks down. down. And, and yeah. because it's got to trickle all the way down to the customer. Right. And so, Yeah. Part of that's, you know, leading by example. Um, part of that's, you know, just actively asking questions, talking about it, you know. Uh, you know, I've recently had, had uh, someone that was struggling. And so the question was, is how have you approached that that person? And like, well, I, I told them exactly what I wanted them to do, mm. you know. And I'm like, well, that's great. And it's really important to, you know, create accountability and set expectations. But did you figure out why they're not doing what you want them to do? You know, what's, 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 what are their blockers? What's, you know, and so go and ask, how can you help them? You know, don't, good, tell them what to do, set their, set expectations, be clear about that, and then figure out how you can help them. So it has to happen all the way down or all the way up if Right. Do you guys run a uh, distributed team? Or are they here locally? It's we have a oh. few developers here. Okay. Um, you know, when when I started here, everyone, almost everyone was here. Um, but uh, it wasn't long before we kind of branched out. Branched out. So, you feel like this <clears throat> would be is still just as feasible to manage, kind of remotely. As it harder. Is. A little it's bit. Harder. Oh, harder. Yeah. 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 It it is harder. Um, you know, yeah, you being. You yeah, exactly. It's you easier can, to talk somebody You can do it. You can do it on Zoom, you know. And like I, all my one-on-ones, I require that we have our cameras on and stuff like that. And in certain meetings, I ask that everyone turn their camera on, um, not because I'm trying to be a butt or make sure yeah. that they're working, but yeah. I think that that interaction is important once in a while. You know, if we're just talking about a tech problem, you know, we don't need to have our cameras on. But when we're when we're discussing how we want to approach things, you know, let's turn our cameras on and. and see each other look each other in the eyeball through our cameras it's not the same as in person but yeah, yeah. so you guys are all kind of in the u.s though uh i have one developer that's in australia oh, okay. uh, actually i got one in australia one in the philippines um yeah and we've had different projects where we would you know hire people uh, offshore to do different projects mm-hmm. so do you do you try to i can imagine there's a lot of companies who go completely distributed and have teams in, in either Pakistan or wherever, all over mm-hmm. the world. Um, do you, do you, do you implement this for that sort of a, a, a team, the whole, even, even across culture and time zone and how does that work? You know, it, I, that's a great question. Um, for the project teams where, you know, you deal with a, an outsourced project company and they have a PM, a lot of times you, you're not even talking to those developers, Correct. right? That's right. Um, so it's really hard to do that. Best that you can do is in your interactions with the people that you do have influence over, um, you, you approach that style with them and hope that they're trickling it down with them. 
So a lot of those projects, you really have no control over how they're treating their employees. Um, you know, when I'm talking to a, a potential group like that, I, I try to get an idea of how they talk to their employees. Um, but yeah, you, you don't always know. So best you can, absolutely. And it's interesting. I don't, <clears throat> I don't know culturally, oh, any culture that I ran into where this this didn't apply, where no, people didn't yeah. didn't didn't like being appreciated like this. Right. No, that that totally makes sense. I was just curious, even language barrier that could be a little little different. You know what their problem the problems they're dealing with are completely different mm-hmm. than what we deal with here. So if anything, it might be a shock because they're so used to having yeah. Just, you know, told what to do all the time, not so much yeah. people really caring about well, what they're Well, it's very predominant in develop, just the development community in general. You get your tasks, you get your tasks, you deliver your tasks, and that's what it is. Right. You know, that that's absolutely right. I mean, I, I can't assume that I know culturally what everyone else is going to. I'm going to go into my those conversations with my own blinders, mm-hmm. and, um, you know, I'll do my best, but I'm sure that, you know, there's been plenty of times where I, I missed a cultural clue that they were giving me. So, you know, yeah. that's, you do the best that you can. Do the best you can. Yeah. Right. That makes sense. I, I could see this really catching on uh, a lot. It seems like, uh, you know, if you're talking about the different generations, you know, of people, I could see this really catching on very well with, you know, whatever it is, Gen Z now and mm-hmm. Gen X and so forth. It just seems like it's kind of trending. Well, they want to be valued, you know, mm-hmm. that's, that's what and they want to be heard and they want to yeah. be, you know, and it's not necessarily work as everything, right? You got a balance and, and so forth. And I think it's, I can see it being huge. Are you not Gen Z? Oh. You know, it's... I just missed it. That's I'm funny. Just one year out. So I, I have um, a kid and had three stepkids that all millennials. Mm-hmm. Um, I've been teaching. I, I taught for over a decade. And so most of my students were, were millennials and some Gen Z. And yeah, there is a difference. Um, you know, just in the way that they approach work, what they're wanting to get out of work. Mm-hmm. I'd, I'd say servant leadership works extremely well with them yeah. um, because they, they do want to feel like they're making a difference. Yeah. They like that transparency and the openness. Um, they do tend to um, try to turn off, you know, the job when they go home. Um, you know, for me, it, it's kind of embedded in my life, whether I'm in the office or not. Yeah. Um, so it's it's a little bit different. But, um, yeah, it, 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 it is a good point that different generations respond to it differently. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually, in Toastmasters, I had a speech about uh, managing millennials and, uh, because it was different and it's a different approach that you, you know, and you can't say, well, everyone that's in this age group acts a certain way and you no. apply it across the board. But there is, there is, you know, as the generations have changed, there's a, a, a different look and people have different expectations of their job. And I can't take the work ethic I had, you know, growing up in the 80s and, you know, I started mowing lawns when I was in the sixth grade and throwing hay in the eighth grade. You know, I had a very different work ethic and my thoughts of work are different than what I expect, you know, yeah. some 25-year-old kid right out of college to have. Right. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Uh, well, one of the biggest ones that we didn't talk about was self-awareness. Uh, and and that's kind of a journey I've been on recently is just more of that. But you can get real deep into a rabbit hole, you know, uh, talk, <laughs> talk about mysticism and stuff there. And not, I'm not, but, uh, you know, uh, years ago I was going through a, a, a marriage separation and I decided to go through some counseling to work on my triggers 
what I found was this therapy that I was going through made me a way better manager and employee. Really? Yeah. And it was just amazing. Like working on myself made me such a better leader and that self-awareness. And uh, I, I don't know if you've heard familiar with Viktor Frankl, but you've probably heard the, the topic of um, that space between stimulus and response. Mm-hmm. And for the people with, you know, the, there's also the new popular emotional intelligence, right? EQ. Yeah. EQ really is about that space between stimulus and response. If you, if you can increase that space, and spend more time in there. Uh, that's where your really good reasoning comes into play. Uh, they talk about, you know, you've got your amygdala, and it, it, it's wired to respond Im- immediately, right? Uh, a car's coming at you, you slam on your brakes, or you swerve, or whatever, right? You don't want, you know, your prefrontal cortex to be thinking about things, right? But if you can, when you're dealing with employees, if you can pause that amygdala response, that immediate response, and bring it up into your prefrontal cortex where you're thinking about things. And uh, a good example is you walk downstairs and uh, there's a, a coat on a coat hanger and you jump because you think, you know, it's, it's, it's a bad guy. Yeah. Right. Well, that's the amygdala. But if you gave your prefrontal cortex a minute to think about it, it's like, man, I didn't need to put my fists up. It's just a coat. Right. right? right. Um, Doing that in leadership, in life, you know, if someone trips your trigger, that stimulus, uh, instead of just going right to a response, if you can put a little bit of... It's a very hard thing to do. Oh, my God. It's an extremely hard thing to do because you're kind of wired that way, right? And and that is emotional intelligence in in a nutshell, right? If you can take that, that... Period, and I would say that mine was so tight, overlapped. Like, like there was none, you know. And and I'm still, you know, a, a student of this. You know, how do I how do I pry a little wedge in there and, and start creating some more space in there? So there's a somebody said, and the, the quote is something to the effect of, uh, "Too many people listen to respond versus mm-hmm. listen to understand." Mm-hmm. Kind of goes along the same lines right yep. is i think you're wired to in the conversation to respond you're mm-hmm. always formulating a response to mm-hmm. what the other person's saying instead of really focusing on understanding what they're saying and then stop and then formulating a response and say it's yeah. and it's very true i catch myself at it all the time right because it's it's hard to train yourself to do that that's that's a uh... That's part of that listening that's that's so critical in certain yes. leadership. And I, I told you, that's one, as a developer, as an engineer, as, you know, as a fixer, man, I struggle yeah. with that, right? Yeah, I ha, too. Ha, I think being a, being a husband gets you a little bit better at that, you know, because you, you learn like, hey, I don't need you to fix this. Just listen, you know. Exactly. And, and maybe husband, spouse, whatever, uh, parent, you know, uh, don't fix this just listen i'm just you know and so that it's really hard to turn off that fixer you know that mm-hmm. man i could i could write eight especially lines when that's your job too, right you know? yeah right. exactly it's like oh you have a problem i need to i need to solve this yeah yeah let me go get my hammer yep. so it makes a lot of sense what was the um and, and they can splice some of this in mm-hmm. uh so sure. was there another another topic or anything that, that you know so so that that the thought of just self-awareness uh, in in servant leadership, I have found, has really 
served me the most. Um, it's also been the hardest and, and most painful, you know, cause that's when you're really looking at yourself and, and, uh, you evaluate things and you're like, man, I could have done that one better, yeah. you know? And so, but that's part of continuous improvement, right? If you're not doing your own, you know, postmortems or after actions, then you're not going to improve. So, mm-hmm. uh, that, that self-awareness also leads to so many of the others. We talk about authenticity, right? Well, it's hard to be authentic if you don't really know who you are. Right. You know, it's hard to be empathetic with others if you don't really know what you are yourself. Mm-hmm. So all of that kind of stems from that self-awareness. Um, you know, being committed to the people in the community, uh, I'd say that you also need to be committed to yourself and, and improving yourself. And, Sure. The rest of that kind of comes along. Um, the, there's three other things that we didn't really talk about, three traits of servant leadership, and they're listed as persuasion, conceptualization, and foresight. And persuasion, that happens with trust, right? You develop trust with people. And what is the definition of leadership is the ability to influence, right, or persuade. Um you can't do that without the trust. I mean, you can tell people to do things, and if right. you're in a command and control environment, they will do it. You know, in the military, if I give you an order, you're going to go out and you're going to do that order, right? right. Um, doesn't always work that way in the business. Um, conceptualization really is just kind of being able, using the the cliche, but thinking outside of the box, right? Can I or can I just take a big picture and, and twist it around and look at it from all the different views and then foresight? That I, I equate to wisdom. You know, uh, foresight's being able to anticipate things as, before they happen. Mm-hmm. And that's hard to do uh, un- until you've experienced things a few times. Right. Um, with my guys, a lot of times, and they get frustrated. So I've mentioned I'm, I'm a teacher. I love the Socratic method of teaching. Ask questions, right? So I, I know the answer, but I don't want to give that to them. And so a lot of times I'll be like, so what would happen if, have you thought about, I don't know, what do you think we should do? Um, it drives them crazy. A lot of times they're like, dude, just give me the answer. I know you know what it is. Uh, you know, and I think my students were that way a few times. And my kids, oh my God, they're like, okay, professor, just tell me the answer. Do you find yourself asking those questions to your staff? Oh, oh yeah, all the time. <laughs> all the time. Um, but... Um, yeah, so foresight really is just being able to anticipate problems. Uh, if I see that I feel like my employees haven't necessarily anticipated something, I'll be like, I wonder what would happen if, you know, or have you thought about, you know. And yeah. and so I, I try not to give them the answer, but uh, at least uh, get them looking in the right direction. Absolutely. No, that's so, awesome. And those are the kind of the things that, that you know, we, we talked about, and then you brought up one of the biggest challenges. One is, uh, you know, it's a lot of fatigue. It's hard to do. Um, it doesn't work in every organization. Uh, there are some organizations where you need fast turnaround yeah. or you, that command and control is, is critical, like in the military where, you know, you, you can't wait for someone to make sure that their feelings are okay with it before they execute an order. Right. Yeah. yeah, exactly. No, I thought this is a, a very good topic. Um,